This podcast is made possible by Optimizely. Optimizely is the leader in progressive delivery and experimentation. Our platform includes feature flagging, progressive rollouts, and A-B testing. We help your teams release software quickly, then test and learn in production before rolling out to all users. Using the Optimizely full stack platform puts product managers at the center of the product development process, allowing you to de-risk big ideas, make bold bets, and build better products. Welcome to the Product Podcast, brought to you by Product School, the podcast where you get fresh insight from leaders at top tech companies and startups. Remember, you can learn product management in person at our 15 campuses worldwide or study with us online. Visit productschool.com to learn more about our courses. You can also hang out with the leaders from these podcasts at our hundreds of annual events and catch us at ProductCon, the world's largest PM conference that takes place every year across the United States and in London. Hello, Product School. My name is Gibson Biddle, and I'm excited to be with you today to talk about hacking your product leader career. And I'd like you to start by thinking about the most important product, and that product is, in fact, you. And I want you thinking about yourself as a product. So, so think about your experience when you go into a grocery store. You see all these cereal boxes on the shelf. And think about what it is to be clear about what, what you are and the benefits you provide so that, such that you're one of those sold-out cereals and uh, where the empty boxes are right now. So that's really, I want you to thinking about yourself as the product, and that's the key concept in hacking your product leader career. We're used to building products, and in building products we form hypotheses, and then we find ways to experiment with those ideas, and then we have results and feedback systems to figure out what's good or bad. And I encourage product leaders to take that same approach. So by background, my name is Gibson Biddle. I started early at Electronic Arts, and then I, was, I built kids' software, including Sesame Street. And then I joined Netflix in 2005 and then moved on to my next startup, Chegg, like which came first, the chicken or the egg, in 2010. It's a textbook rental and a homework help online Chegg study program. Uh, and then the last three or four years, I've been doing this kind of stuff. Uh, now I'm very focused on talks, workshops, and writing for product leaders. Today's talk, it's really around three different chapters, if you will. The first is how do you position yourself? The second is how do you experiment, or I call it career hacking. And then the third is about having results and feedback systems because none of us are self-aware. So how do you form this thing that I call a personal board of director? So let's move on to chapter one, if you will, positioning yourself. I wanna talk about the skills that you need and that you'll develop over time to progress into leader. So I have a very simple positioning model. Uh, it really asks three questions. And, and I want you thinking about how would you answer these three questions for yourself? So the first question is, what is it? Like, what are you? The second question is, what are the benefits that you provide to an employer? And the third is, what is your personality? And that's because all products need to be relatable to its customer. So I'll answer the question for me. Gibson Biddle is a product leader executive who helps startups with a proof of concept to scale. And then to reveal my skills, I have strong strategic thinking, management, 
and leadership skills. And then to reveal my personality, if you know me, I try to be genuine and I do it in sometimes quirky way, a little bit weird at times. So that's me. And the real question is, how do you position yourself? And I want to give you some deeper thinking about how I arrived at, at some of the solutions for me. So the first question I pose of product leaders are, what are the skills in order to be a successful product leader? In this case, I've chosen a totemic leader. This is Steve Jobs. Think about for a moment what are his skills. Now, I've asked this questions of, of thousands of product leaders, and recently I did it with a, uh, many hundreds of product school peeps. And when I asked them the question, these were the answers. Key is communication. And then you see a notion of vision and visionary and storyteller. And you see strategy, the ability to inspire. You see empathy, all of these things. And these are all components of it. And when I'm answering the question, what are the skills of a product leader, I sort of define it in two sides. These are the product skills. No matter what function you're in, the, the aspiration is to, to grow into a leader. And I, I have very specific leadership skills as well. So if I'm interviewing a candidate, these are the seven words that I'll stick on a whiteboard and I'll ask the question, hey, what are your top one or two skills on this? And I'm not searching for anything. I'm just trying to get to know that person, their skills. Um, but, but if I talk to a candidate, they'll say, well, what do you mean by each of these words? So I'll share it with you. By technical, I mean you uh, work effectively with engineers. You don't let your eyes gloss over when, it's, when the conversation gets technical or too technical. Management, my definition, is light process to deliver results. And this is where that important word communication lives. You can bring people together to build stuff. That's really what it means. And then in the work that we do, as, as we're in a creative industry, and, and our, our job is to generate ideas that matter. And then it's helpful to build a business if we generate profits or shareholder value, then we are able to invest more money in building an even better product in the future. And then you can tell, I think marketing skills are important for a product leader. You have the ability to package and position ideas, make them relevant so customers know that they're for them and they, they choose to buy them or use them. And then in the last 15 years or so, when, when work went, went to these teeny devices, it got important that you work very well with designers and that you value simplicity. It takes a lot of discipline to work on that tiny screen. And then I call it consumer science. It's been the big deal in the last 10 or 15 years. It's all about developing consumer insight. And this is where, the, where that word empathy lives. You uh, get inside the heads of your customers via qualitative focus groups or usability through survey by asking them what they think, by digging in the dirt with existing data to look through for hypotheses. And then the big dog is A-B tests. You do this and this, and which one's better as, as looked at through metrics, which changes customer behavior in ways that helps you. So on the other side of the ledger, the leadership skills, all the same exercise, seven words. And the question is, how, what, what are your top one or two or three skills on this list? Leadership, my definition, is inspired communication of a vision. And that's where that vision and visionary part fits in. And then as you grow up as a leader, and by the by, I, I, I know that many of you, you could be early in your career, but I want everyone to behave like a leader and begin practicing the leadership skills early. But what I mean, over time, you're hiring, building, and developing teams as a manager. And then strategic thinking, my definition in the context of product is you develop hypotheses. These are product strategies. 
as ways to delight customers in these hard-to-copy, margin-enhancing ways, ways to make money. And then if, as a leader, you're not a follower, so you need to be proactive, results-oriented, do what it takes to make stuff happen. And then there's a softer side to a leader, and that's where it's all about culture. And I love culture because culture, if everybody in a company understand the values of a company, they can make great decisions without talking to each other. You don't need any process. So it helps evaluate fit, but it's also a foundation for like process. And business maturity just means you have great judgment around people, product, and the business. And sometimes it's correlated with age and sometimes not. And then domain expertise, different companies need different things depending on their category and the stage of the company. So these are the seven leadership skills that I look for. So just to give you a sense of how different folks are, this is April Underwood. Till about a year ago, she was the product leader at Slack. I'm sure most of you are using her product, probably right now. Um, and so I asked her, hey, April, on that left-hand side, what are your key skills, your superpowers, if you will? And she said, hey, I'm very strong technically. I grew up as an engineer. I have strong business skills. And I also, uh, like you, Gib, I understand the importance of marketing, and I'm strong at it. And then on the other side of the ledger, her leadership skills, she says, I'm very strong on strategy. I'm highly proactive and results-oriented. That's why I work with earlier stage startups. And then I, I think I have great judgment around people, product, and the business. So to understand me, you know, this is me, business marketing and consumer science on the left and on the right leadership, management, and strategy. So the point is we're, we're all different. It's about finding the, the best fit role for us at the companies that's looking for certain skills. So the question I put to you today, think of these, if you've got one or two skills on the top of this list, those are your superpowers. And I learned to really focus on my superpowers and not worry as much about um, some obvious deficiencies. Uh, people hire you for those really strong things that you do. So this is what I want you to think about in, in your head. What are the two or three words on the left that define you, your superpowers, or in the, the, the top two or three words on the right? And I've asked this question of uh, thousands and recently with the product school audience. When I put these seven words, you see a, a rich diversity. So none of us are the same. In, in that audience, uh, strong and technical, but you can see uh, management, creative business are tightly bundled. And then not a huge surprise to me, um, not many folks self-identified as having strong marketing skills. And, <clears throat> and then when I asked the second question on the right side of the ledger about leadership, this one actually has a little bit more diversity. So you see people self-identifying on culture. And you see the leadership and the strategy are strong. And then it may be uh, you know, a lack of confidence around the business maturity or simply youth. Um, I, I have no idea. Uh, and newsflash, you know, as I got older, I didn't necessarily develop better judgment. Uh, but again, you want to see these are the skills, and you can see there's a real range of the skills that people say they have. And the good news here is you don't have to learn all these skills overnight. You have time that, in fact, you develop them as your career progresses. So this is what I call um, a career ladder. You start at the bottom and you work your way up. So I'll, I'll share my career. The first thing I ever built, and you know, the question was, could I build something? Could I get engineers and animators and designers together? Yes, I could. Uh, and built Sesame Street Counting Cafe. 
uh, spent $300,000 and sold 300 units, so not a, a hit. My first hit product was Sesame Street Elmo's Preschool, uh, a full preschool curriculum in a box for two, three, and four-year-olds. And then over time, I built lots of kids' software, but I realized that my job was really to help build a successful organization where others could do that kind of work. So I had a product leader on Madeline, a little French girl on Schoolhouse Rock, on Arthur. Uh, I, I had a team. I was building an organization. And at some point, I, I became a VP of product, and I realized that a big part of the job was now to build successful companies. And see, these are the four that I had a hand in. And then the reason I went to Netflix, I, I aspired to do more. I wanted to help build an industry. And that industry, in fact, is streaming. I'm guessing that most of you were streaming last night. Or maybe some of you are streaming right now on the, on, on, on the side. Stop that. <laughs> focus, focus. Anyways, uh, so this is what career ladders look like. And you develop different skills at different mom moments in time. So early on, when you're trying to build something, it's basic design and management. Can you pull together teams to build a product? And then the next stage for me with Almost Preschool, very, uh, you can tell I was aware of the packaging and the positioning, the marketing, and then consumer insight, getting the, inside the heads of two, three, and four-year-olds, or more importantly, their parents who buy stuff. And then as you become, as you begin to be approaching, a, you know, you're a VP, uh, you start learning how important leadership is, that inspired communication of a vision, but strategy, hiring, and then you begin to understand why culture is so important. And then if you're building a company now, imagine you're a VP of product, your job is to build alignment with your marketing partner and your CFO and your sales partner. And you begin to understand why strategy is so important. And if you have the good fortune to be engaged in building an industry, it's all about long-term strategy. Think about the hundreds of partnerships that Netflix established in order to enable you to watch anytime and anywhere on any TV-connected device. That was there because of long-term strategic thinking that worked, as well as partnerships. Netflix did not go it alone and never built one box. So the question I, I pose for audiences, and again, I've done this with hundreds of product school peeps, what stage are you engaged in today? And this is what I want you thinking about right now. And commonly, I, I let people sometimes answer two. They, they, if they're in the middle, I let them answer the one below and one a notch up. But you can see uh, there's lots of folks that are engaged in building their first hit. And then I'm actually delighted that 7% of, of, of the audience was, had the pleasure to engage in building a new industry. So you can see how it maps to most of the product leaders out there today. So I'm coming on to chapter two, and this is about that experimental approach to careers. That's what I call career hacking. And I, I have to reveal a little bit about my career to give you some context. So uh, careers are not linear. You don't just go down the railroad tracks. Um, they are meandering paths. I have been thrown off the railroad tracks. I've been hired, I've been fired, I've laid up, been laid off, I've run out of money, all of these things. And that actually happens a lot. LinkedIn, for instance, has all of our data and they know that careers are long and windy paths. They, they looked for what's the path that a CEO, uh, that an entry level person takes to get to CEO. And the reality is they join customer support and they slide over into sales and then maybe into marketing, maybe into financing, maybe back to product, and eventually they end up as the CEO. That's what careers really look like. And in that case, that, that CEO is building all the skills that they need, 
including the cross-functional alignment. They're very effective at working with folks in different functions. And early in my career, these were my key questions. Did I want to be in marketing or product? Did I want to be a starter, join right at the beginning of a company, or something that, that had progressed as a builder? Did I want to be in consumer or enterprise? Did I want to be in entertainment or education? These were my high-level career hypotheses, and these were, I was finding a variety of ways to answer these questions over time, in fact, over a very long time. To understand my career, I took a year off from college and I uh, ran a sailing school with some pals. This is, I came from Boston to the San Francisco Bay, which I loved. And then I graduated from school, I continued with J-World, but then I was afraid that I was gonna turn into a beach bum. So I began my professional career in a creative industry in, at an ad agency and I worked in the mailroom my first six months. And then I, I grew up as a marketer and then I was in Silicon Valley and I wanted to learn a lot of other skills outside of marketing. So I made the commitment to spend two years at business school. This is at, at Tuck, which is Dartmouth. Uh, and I chose it because the only place that has its own ski area. Um, at two in the morning, after I'd finished my homework at business school in my cases, I would stay up late and I would hack. I was building prototypes for kids' educational games using HyperCard, which is one of the first object-oriented programming languages. And then that summer, I had a summer job at IBM in market intelligence. And I was there really researching, trying to figure out where I would go after I graduated. And I had the confidence that Electronic Arts was going to grow into a big company, which happened. And then I got enamored of getting back to kids and, and helping folks learn. And that's when I signed a long-term exclusive to Sesame Street and built lots of Sesame Street software. And then eventually that startup, we sold it to this gentleman. This is Kevin O'Leary. You know him as Mr. Wonderful on Shark Tank. Uh, and he was the CEO of the learning company. We helped that company to grow and we sold it to Mattel. And now we enter the dot-com era. Familywonder.com, this is a startup that we did. Uh, if you were looking for something fun to do with your kids or to buy, you'd visit the site. You know that that company died, okay? That was a, a failure. And then my next startup, I was trying to help via neuroperformance improve the lives of people with dyslexia so they could, they could read better, faster, and more easily. So those are two failures, and you can see in my LinkedIn profile, at the top it's VP product, and below it's VP product, but there's this thing in the middle which is consultant. And I've just papered over three years of failure. That's what real careers look like. But I developed the grit and the persistence during that time. I would dust myself off and try the next thing. And when I was low, I would take care of myself like going on runs or biking or volunteering at kids' schools, whatever sort of gave me a little bit of sustenance to, to, to press on. Obviously, things worked out. I joined Netflix, and then I went to Chegg because I wanted to help take an educational technology company public. I'm passionate about education. So I've just taken you on a career. 25 or 30 years, that's a long time. But I was able to answer those hypotheses. I'm, I'm way into product. I, I, I don't think of myself as a starter from scratch. I'm actually a builder. I look for startups with proof of concept. I ready to scale, and then I help them to grow. And I love consumer. And then it turns out the answer to education versus entertainment is both. Uh, entertainment tends to pay a little bit better, and, and I like education because you have a chance to really improve people's lives. So what I want you thinking about right now are what are your career hypotheses? That's what I want you thinking about. What are your forks in the road? 
What are the things that you're interested and passionate about? What, what do you do at two in the morning that's not binge watching on Netflix? And what are potential new functions or roles? All new jobs that you might like to take on within your company or at different companies. And I want you in doing this to think long term because in the long term, anything is possible. And we tend to focus on the day to day and the week to week, month to month, and occasionally just back up and say in the long term, maybe five or 10 years from now, what would I like to be doing? And what are the small hypotheses or experiments that I might pursue in the short term to, to see if that's the right place to go in the long term? So if you're into hacking, you know it's all about fast-paced experimentation and you need a metric. And, and the real question here is, for a career, what's the right metric? And again, I put this out to hundreds of product school product leaders. And you see happiness in the middle. And the way I think about it is job satisfaction. You can see impact. You can see money. And so what I did was I graphed out all three of those things over my career to see if it gives us any insight into what metric is helpful in making these career decisions. So here's income. J World Sailing School doesn't pay well. Uh, you can see that, that valley of death where I had two failed startups in a row. But then you can see I, I actually joined Netflix and I really wasn't penalized. Things went way up and to the right. And then I stopped at Netflix, went, dropped down at Chegg, and then went up and to the right. And I stopped, and I've been doing my career hacking, and it's going up and to the right again. And this is the question that I found really helpful. On a scale of 0 to 10, where 0 sucks and 10 is awesome, how satisfied are you in your current role? But look for a moment over the red N in Netflix. And you can see you know, I was unhappy, and then I joined there, I got happy fast. But notice it started to drop off over time. And there was a couple of things. I wasn't learning as fast, but also there was a recognition as a builder. Uh, you know, I was the right guy for a period of time, I, but, but the skills were wrong for the next stage of the company. I had taken a statistics course at business school, and that was good enough. But they needed a consumer scientist in my role that probably had a PhD in statistics to do all the machine learning. And this is when I started looking around and thinking, what's next? And obviously, Chegg was a good outcome. Oh, this is a hard one. So my wife is a physician scientist. She's literally trying to cure cancer. Uh, and she holds me to a higher standard. So I let her evaluate the extent to which these different jobs were good for the world. Uh, and so you can see over Kevin O'Leary and Family Wonder, like, you're doing good for education. And then on Netflix, she's a little tough on me, like, okay, how much does binge-watching really help Gib? And then Chegg, Chegg has managed to help students save billions of dollars renting instead of buying. And she's very uh, praiseworthy of the stuff that I'm doing now as a teacher, workshop, host, speaker. Oh, by the way, you know, I, I didn't really highlight what happened with uh, Chegg. The reason I was unhappy, my job sat was high around Chegg, and then it dropped. And the reason was I was frustrated by the slow rate of change in the education category. And that's what caused me to, to engage in the kind of stuff that I do today. Much more flexible, much more much faster. Okay, so here's the key insight that I discovered. It's all about that job satisfaction. Uh, and really what I want for everybody is that they have a job sat that's 8, 9, or 10. 
And if you're in that place, one of those people that's 25% that were zero to six, and you've been there for three, six, or nine months, and it's not just a bad day, this is persistent, I really want you to start thinking about those hypotheses, those experiments about what might be next for you, because you, you, I think change will be good for you. So this is all about the job sat. And I've asked this same question, what's your current job satisfaction? And here's the answer. That zero to six, 40%, that makes me so sad. And then the nine or 10, that's just delighted. Those people were super happy. And frankly, I feel pretty good about that 35% who are at seven or eight. And this has really been the most helpful proxy metric that I have found in navigating careers. So some notes on career hacking after doing it for many, many decades. My first note is be bold. Uh, if you take a long-term perspective, it, it, you know, it, it's about being courageous, as I did, to switch from marketing into product, for instance. And it's about forming these hypotheses and then finding these lightweight, lightweight ways to experiment with them. You don't have to quit your job and start a new one. You can go out to coffee or have a Zoom meeting with somebody. Or you can take an online course. You can do what you're doing today. Think about that two in the morning test. What is it something you're so passionate about that uh, maybe you should make it part of your career? And it can't be binge watching. Side projects. What are the light ways? If you stopped watching your 40 hours a, a, a month on Netflix, that's time for other side projects. Or you, maybe you find a punk startup that you're interested in and work with them on Saturdays. Because at the end of the day, companies are looking for people who are passionate about the work that they're doing, and they have intellectual curiosity. They're really trying to figure this thing out, and that leads to this notion of grit or persistence. And all employers are looking for that magical combination of those three elements. So I told you to be bold. I'll, I'll just give you a few notes on things that I found helpful in, in enabling risks. First is education. Uh, and there's many ways that you can begin to learn about these new areas. And then find ways to have a small success and, and maybe give you the confidence you could spend more time and energy on that. So my building prototypes at 2 in the morning gave me the confidence maybe I could do that in real life. And then keep your life simple. My wife and I still own the same starter house that we bought in 1993. Kept our life simple and that lets us take on financial risk without worrying about mortgages. And then you can tell one of the side benefits of being thrown off the railroad tracks so, so many times. I, I know a lot about job hunting, or at a higher level, I call it career hunting. And I, I included an article at the end of this talk that I think many of you will find helpful. So I'm bringing it into our third chapter today. So we've talked about how you position yourself, how you can take this career hacking experimental method formed by that one job satisfaction metric. And now, because none of us are self-aware, we need to talk about stuff with folks, and, and we need help evaluating what makes sense or doesn't. And so the thing that I have found incredibly helpful is this notion of a personal board of directors. When I talk to folks, about 10% have one, and they find it extremely helpful. And so I'm trying to get the 90% who don't have this to, to think about, hmm, what would it take to form this board of directors? So here's mine. Uh, it changes year after year. In recent past, I've gotten some folks who have written books, who are speakers, who are teachers, who do workshops, and they've been incredibly helpful 
to me. And so I just want to take you back to the genesis of, the, of this idea. Greg Bestick, uh, he was my CEO when I was first became a, a VP of product. I said, Greg, I need help learning how to be a better product leader. And he said, sorry, I can't help you. Um, go out and build relationships with your community of peers. I think you'll find that helpful. And he was right. So I would have lunch with a few folks at least once a month. We'd talk about the issues of the day. Incredibly helpful to me. This is Irv Grossbeck. I went to Little Amherst College in Western Massachusetts, probably got 1,600 students. He went there a generation ahead of me. He invented the cable TV industry, and now he's a dollar a year professor of entrepreneurship at Stanford. And I was having my office hours with him, and Irv sort of listened to me, and then he looked at me and he said, Gib, can I tell you something you may not like? And I sort of buckled up my seatbelt, and he said, you're too nice to be a startup CEO. And what was going on was my hypothesis was I would go beyond product leader to the be CEO, to be the, the head of a company. That was on my mind. And, and he said, now, by the way, there's some nice CEOs out there, but he said, Gib, you're very thoughtful, you're very deliberate, and, I, and the most likely path for you to become a CEO is at a startup, and I don't, it just doesn't seem like you. I don't think you'd enjoy it. And that resonated with me, and just... It, it, he kept me from probably banging my head on a wall for five years if I had taken on that role. And he released me from the notion that I had to do something like that before I died. Patty McCord, she ran HR and people at Netflix. And I had stopped working. I was looking for non-traditional roles. And I said, hey, I'm frustrated. I'm not finding non-traditional roles. This is on a walk on the beach. And Santa Cruz. And she said, Gib, just tell people what you want. So when folks started calling me, I said, hey, I'll, I'm interested in being a product leader, but only if it's three days a week. And that happened. So they would call me an executive in residence, but I was the three-day-a-week product leader at Life360, at Nerd Wallet, at Metro Mile. It was awesome. And this was just based on a conversation walking on the beach. My wife, Kristen, you know, she knows me well. She says, hey, Gib, for you, it's all about creative pursuit. In the last few years, she encouraged me to focus on talks, workshops, and writing uh, because she knows how much I'm fueled by the creative process. So you need a board. Build a board. So a couple of notes. Invest in the good times, okay? So people don't like it if you come to them when you're struggling. So this is a forever thing that you need to do. And you could tell, like with Irv Grosbeck, I listened very carefully to him. I can still repeat him, you know, 10 years later. And you need to refresh your board often. So people age out. They're no longer relevant. Or in my case, I needed to develop new skills around talks and writing and workshops. And then, no, I don't meet with them quarterly, like a board of directors. It's a little bit casual. Some of the folks I check in with once a year, and some of them it's once a month. If I'm contemplating a big shift, I'll do a sort of email summary to all of them and say, hey, what do you think? You're just, whatever cadence works for you to form a relationship where they care about you. Peers, no excuse. You should be able to form relationships with your peers out there. And it's mainly because it's all about past colleagues and LinkedIn has made this wicked easy. And then you're looking for folks that are in similar roles, function, stage of company, where, where they're going through different issues and, and you guys can just simply compare notes and provide mutual support to each other. 
Now the harder part of the equation is mentors. And probably, I don't know, a third of my board is mentors and two-thirds are peers. If you asked 10 people to be your mentor, maybe one or two will work out. But you're looking for folks with extraordinary judgment. They have broad skills and network. And this wonderful combination of being candid because they care about you. So that's why you need real relationships. People will ask me what I think, like, should I go to business school? I'm like, I don't know, I don't know you, right? It takes a lot of context setting to be truly helpful and then to dare to be candid, to deliver the real truth in a caring way. So some tips on finding mentors. Uh, my very first tip is please do not ask someone to be your mentor. It's a very awkward conversation. That's not really how it begins. It starts with strengthening a weak link. So you notice Irv Grossbeck went to Amherst College. That's an example of a weak link. Or this is John Liu. John Liu was in data science at NerdWallet. I was the three-day-a-week product leader there. Um, he came to me. We started talking. I realized I liked him. We liked each other. It was a personality fit. And then I give little tests to folks. And a simple test is, hey, John, set up lunch five weeks from now. I'm really seeing if he cares enough to navigate my, my challenging schedule. And he did. And then the trickiest part is how do you create value for mentors? Just newsflash, I'm 58 years old. Like I need help from 20 and 30 year olds trying to stay relevant, right? Okay, help me understand TikTok or why would someone on YouTube slow down their video by 20% or speed it up? Like help me out. And, and and these are, or, or help me understand why a, a Prius is bougie, okay? Because I thought only Teslas were bougie. So my point is everybody needs some help, even mentors. In the case of John, John was like, Gib, I want to go into product. Do you have a startup I could work with on a Saturday? I had nothing for him. And I finally, he was frustrated. I was frustrated. I said, John, just freaking go off and buy, build me a website. He said, I can't do that. So I gave him my credit card and said, go to Squarespace. I, I know you can do it. And on Monday morning, you know, he showed me you know, what I, I still refer to as my baby website at gibsonbiddle.com. By the way, that's where a PDF of today's presentation is, just sitting and waiting for you. Anyways, he created value for me. And because of this, we have an ongoing relationship. So I hope I've communicated to you how important it is to build that personal board of directors. It's probably the easiest thing that you can start doing tomorrow. The other things require a little deeper thinking, a little bit more time. All right, so I'm going to bring it home for you. Here's the question. What would you do if you weren't afraid? Because it's my belief that it's fear that's holding us back. It's fear that keeps us from contemplating change. It's fear that keeps us from making that occasionally bold bet on ourselves. If you're one of those folks, the 40% in the zero to six category, you need to take some sort of action. Uh, if you're in the, the seven or eight, you know, your career could be better. And, and yeah, I'm delighted for the nines and tens. Keep doing stuff. And the action that, that I encourage you to take is, is all about the principles I've been talking about in hacking your career. So I'd love you to think about how do you position yourself? What are your product and leadership superpowers, if you will? And reflect on that career ladder and where you are in the new skills that you want to develop. And based on that, form hypotheses. 
and begin to find ways to experiment with side projects. Read a book, take a course, engage with a startup on a Saturday, whatever it takes. And then you need a way to evaluate what's working and not. And because we're humans, it's, it's easier if we talk and work with others. And that's why I'd love for you to get feedback via your personal door, board of directors. And this is what career hacking is all about. And this continues forever until you're older than dirt like me. At the end of the day, I want everyone out there to have job satisfaction of eight, nine, or a 10. And it's doable if you take some of these ideas to heart. So with that, I say thank you. Thank you very much for being with me today. It's been great fun. This podcast is made possible by Optimizely. To learn more about how you can get started with progressive delivery and experimentation, visit www.optimizely.com. Great fun. Thank you for listening to the Product Podcast. If you like this episode, don't forget to leave a review on iTunes. For more product insights, head over to productschool.com.